Section 5. Police Operation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alex Bowie, Woodbridge, Virginia. Police Operation by H. Bean Piper. Section 5. An air taxi emblazoned with the device of the Paratime Police, was waiting. Verkan Vall said goodbye to the rocket pilot and took his seat beside the pilot of the air cab. The latter lifted his vehicle above the building level and then set it down on the landing stage of the Paratime Police building in a long, side-swooping glide. An express elevator took Verkan Vall down to one of the middle stages, where he showed his sigil to the guard outside the door of Tortha Karf's office and was admitted at once. The Paratime Police Chief rose from behind the semicircular desk, with its array of keyboards and viewing screens and communicators. He was a big man, well past his two hundredth year. His hair was iron gray and thinning in front, and he had begun to grow thick at the waist, and his calm features bore the lines of middle age. He wore the dark green uniform of the Paratime Police. Well, Vol he asked. Everything secure? Not exactly, sir. Verkan Vall came around the desk, deposited his rifle and bag on the floor, and sat down in one of the spare chairs. I'll have to go back again. So? His chief lit a cigarette and waited. I traced Gavran Sarn. Verkan Vall got out his pipe and began to fill it. But that's only the beginning. I have to trace something else. Gavran Sarn exceeded his paratime permit and took one of his pets along. A Venusian Nighthound. Tortha Karf's expression did not alter. It merely grew more intense. He used one of the short, semantically ugly terms which serve, in place of profanity, as the emotional release of a race that has forgotten all the taboos and terminologies of supernaturalistic religion and sex inhibition. You're sure of this, of course. It was less a question than a statement. Verkan Vall bent and took cloth-wrapped objects from his bag, unwrapping them and laying them on the desk. They were casts in hard black plastic of the footprints of some large three-toed animals. What do these look like, sir? he asked. Tortha Carr fingered them and nodded. Then he became as visibly angry as a man of his civilization and culture level ever permitted himself. What does that fool think we have a paratime code for, he demanded. It's entirely illegal to transpose any extraterrestrial animal or object to any timeline in which space travel is unknown. I don't care if he is a green seal thavrad. He'll face charges when he gets back for this. He was a green seal thavrad, Verkenval corrected, and he won't be coming back. I hope you didn't have to deal summarily with him, Tortha Karf said. With his title and social position, his family's political importance, that might make difficulties. Not that it wouldn't be all right with me, of course, but we never seem to be able to make either the management or the public realize the extremities to which we are forced at times. He sighed. We probably never shall. Verkan Vall smiled faintly. Oh, no, sir, nothing like that. He was dead before I transposed to that timeline. He was killed when he wrecked a self-propelled vehicle he was using, one of those fourth-level automobiles. 
and posed as a relative and tried to claim his body for the burial ceremony observed at that cultural level, but was told that it had been completely destroyed by the fire when the fuel tank of this automobile burned. I was given certain of his effects which had passed through the fire. I found his sigil concealed inside what appeared to be a cigarette case. He took a green disc from the bag and laid it on the desk. There's no question, Gavran Sarn died in that wreck of an automobile. In the Nighthound? It was in the car with him, but it escaped. You know how fast those things are. I found that track, he indicated one of the black casts, in some dried mud near the scene of the wreck. As you see, the cast is slightly defective. The others were fresh this morning when I made them. And what have you done so far? I rented an old farm near the scene of the wreck and installed my fuel generator there. It runs through to the Hagraban Synthetics Works, about a hundred miles east of Thanal's Javzar. I have my this line terminal in the girls' restroom at the durable plastics factory, handled on that local power writ. Since then, I've been hunting for the Nighthound. I think I can find it, but I'll need some special equipment and a hypnomech indoctrination. That's why I came back. Has it been attracting any attention? Tortha Karf asked anxiously. Killing cattle in the locality, causing considerable excitement. Fortunately, it's a locality of forest mountains and valley farms, rather than a built-up industrial district. Local police and wild game protection officers are concerned. All the farmers excited and going armed. The theory is that it's either a wildcat of some sort, or a maniac armed with a cullis. Either theory would conform, more or less, to the nature of its depredations. Nobody has actually seen it. That's good, Tortha Karf was relieved. Well, you'll have to go and bring it out, or kill it and obliterate the body. You know why as well as I do. Certainly, sir, Verkenval replied. In a primitive culture, things like this would be assigned supernatural explanations, and embedded in the locally accepted religion. But this culture, while nominally religious, is highly rationalistic in practice. Typical lag effect, characteristic of all expanding cultures. And this Europo-American sector really has an expanded culture. A hundred and fifty years ago, the inhabitants of this particular timeline didn't even know how to apply steam power. Now they've begun to release nuclear energy in a few crude forms. Tortha Karf whistled softly. That's quite a jump. There's a sector that'll be in for trouble in the next few centuries. That is realized locally, sir. Verkenval concentrated on relighting his pipe for a moment, then continued. I would predict space travel on that sector within the next century, maybe the next half century at least to the moon, and the art of taxidermy is very highly developed. Now suppose some farmer shoots that thing. What would he do with it, sir? Tortha Karf grunted. Nice logic, Vol. On a most uncomfortable possibility, he'd have it mounted and be put in a museum somewhere. And as soon as the first spaceship reaches Venus, and they find those things in a wild state, they'll have the mounted specimen identified. Exactly. And then, instead of beating their brains about where their specimen came from, they'll begin asking when it came from. They're quite capable of such reasoning, even now. A hundred years isn't a particularly long time, Torth or Karf considered. I'll be retired then, but you'll have my job, and it'll be your headache. You'd better get this cleaned up now while it can be handled. 
What are you going to do? I'm not sure now, sir. I want a hypnomechanization first. Verkenval gestured toward the communicator on the desk. May I? he asked. Certainly, Torthakarf slid the instrument across the desk. Anything you want. Thank you, sir. Verkenval snapped on the code index, found the symbol he wanted, then punched it in on the keyboard. Special Chief's Assistant Verkenval, he identified himself. Speaking from the office of Torthakarf, Chief Paratime Police. I want a complete hypnomech on Venusian nighthounds. Emphasis on wild state. Special emphasis domesticated nighthounds reverted to wild state in terrestrial surroundings. Extra special emphasis hunting techniques applicable to same. The word nighthound will do for trigger symbol. He turned to Tortha Karf. Can I take it here? Tortha Karf nodded, pointing to a row of booths along the far wall of the office. Make set up for wired transmission. I'll take it here. Very well, sir. In fifteen minutes, a voice replied out of the communicator. Verkenval slid the communicator back. By the way, sir, I had a hitchhiker on the way back. Carried him about a hundred or so parriers. Picked him up and about three hundred parriers after leaving my other line terminal. Nasty-looking fellow in a black uniform. Looked like one of these private army stormtroopers you find all through that sector. Armed and hostile. I thought I'd have to ray him, but he blundered outside the field almost at once. I have a record if you'd care to see it. Yes, put it on. Torthakarf gestured toward the solidiograph projector. It's set for miniature reproduction on here on the desk. That'd be all right? Verkenval nodded, getting out the film and loading it into the projector. When he pressed a button, a dome of radiance appeared on the desktop. Two feet in width and a foot in height. In the middle of this appeared a small solidiograph image of the interior of the conveyor, showing the desk, the control board, and the figure of Verkenval seated at it. The little figure of the stormtrooper appeared, pistol in hand. The little Verkenval snatched up his tiny needler. The stormtrooper moved to one side of the dome and vanished. Verkenval flipped the switch and cut out the image. Yes, I don't know what causes that, but it happens now and then, Tortha Karf said. Usually at the beginning of a transposition. I remember when I was just a kid. About a hundred and fifty years ago. hundred and thirty-nine to be exact. I picked up a fellow on the fourth level, just about where you're operating, and dragged him a couple of hundred pair of years. I went back to find him and returned him to his own timeline. But before I could locate him, he'd been arrested by the local authorities as a suspicious character and got himself shot trying to escape. I felt badly about that, but... Tortha Karf shrugged. Anything else happened on the trip? I ran through a belt of intermittent nucleonic bombing on the second level. Verkenval mentioned an approximate paratime location. Ah, that Kiftan civilization, by courtesy so-called. Tortha Karf pulled a wry face. I suppose the intra-family enmities of the Havadka dynasty have reached critical mass again. They'll fool around till they blast themselves back to the Stone Age. Intellectually, they're about there now. I had to operate in that sector once. Oh yes, another thing, sir. This rifle. Verkenval picked it up and emptied the magazine, and handed it to his superior. The supplies office slipped up on this. It's not appropriate to my line of operation. It's a lovely rifle, but it's about 200% in advance of existing arms designed on my line. 
It excited the curiosity of a couple of police officers and a game protector, who should be familiar with the weapons of their own timeline. I evaded by disclaiming ownership or intimate knowledge, and they seemed satisfied, but it worried me. Yes, that was made in our duplicating shops here in De Hergbar. Torthakarf carried it to a photographic bench behind his desk. I'll have it checked while you're taking your hypnomech. Want to exchange it for something authentic? Why, no, sir. It's been identified to me, and I'd excite less suspicion with it than I would if I abandoned it and mysteriously acquired another rifle. I just wanted to check, and supplies warned to be more careful in the future. Tortha Karf nodded approvingly. The young Mavrat of Naros was thinking as a paratimer should. What's the designation of your line again? Vergenval told him. It was a short numerical term of six places, but it expressed a number of the order of ten to the fortieth power, exact to the last digit. Tortha Karf repeated it into his stenomemograph with explanatory comment. There seems to be quite a few things going wrong in that area, he said. Let's see now. He punched the designation on the keyboard instantly. It appeared on a translucent screen in front of him. He punched another combination, and at the top of the screen, under the number, there appeared events past elapsed five years. He punched again. Below this line appeared the subheading events involving paratime transposition. Another code combination added a third line attracting public notice among inhabitants. He pressed the start button. The headings vanished, to be replaced by page after page of print, succeeding one another on the screen as the two men read. They told strange and apparently disconnected stories of unexplained fires and explosions, of people vanishing without trace, of unaccountable disasters to aircraft. There were many stories of an epidemic of mysterious disc-shaped objects seen in the sky, singly or in numbers. To each account was appended one or more reference numbers. Sometimes Tortha Karf or Verkenval would punch one of these and read, on an adjoining screen, the explanatory matter referred to. Finally, Tortha Karf leaned back and lit a fresh cigarette. Yes, indeed, Vol. Very definitely we will have to take action in the matter of the runaway nighthound of the late Gavran Sarn, he said. I'd forgotten that this was the timeline onto which the Ardrath expedition launched those anti-grav discs. If this extraterrestrial monstrosity turns up on the heels of that flying saucer business, everybody above the order of intelligence of a Cretan will suspect some connection. What really happened in the Andrath matter? Verkenval inquired. I was on the third level on that Laverian Empire operation at that time. That's right, you missed that. Well, it was one of those joint operation things. The Paratime Commission and the Space Patrol were experimenting with a new technique for throwing a spaceship into Paratime. They used the cruiser Ardrath, Kalzarn Jan commanding. Went into space about halfway to the moon and took up orbit, keeping on the sunlit side of the planet to avoid being observed. That was all right. But then Captain Kalzarn ordered away a flight of anti-grav disks, fully manned to take pictures, and finally authorized a landing in the western mountain range, northern continent, minor landmass. That's when the trouble started. He flipped the run-back switch till he had recovered the page he wanted. Verkenval read of a fourth-level aviator in his little air-screw drive craft, sighting nine high-flying saucer-like objects.
That was how it began, Torthikarf told him. Before long, as other incidents of the same sort occurred, our people in that line began sending back to know what was going on. Naturally, from the different descriptions of these saucers, they recognized the objects as anti-grav landing disks from a spaceship. So I went to the commission and raised atomic blazes about it, and the Ardrath was ordered to confine operations to the lower areas of the fifth level. Then our people on that timeline went to work with corrective action. Here. He wiped the screen and then began punching combinations. Page after page appeared, bearing accounts of people who claimed to have seen the mysterious disks, and each report was more fantastic than the last. The standard smother-out technique, Verkenval grinned. I only heard a little talk about the flying saucers, and all of that was in joke. In that order of culture, you can always discredit one true story by setting up ten others, palpably false, parallel to it. Wasn't that the timeline the Tharmax Trading Corporation almost lost their paratime license on? That's right, it was. They bought up all the cigarettes and caused a conspicuous shortage after the fourth-level cigarettes had been introduced on this line and had become popular. They should have spread their purchases over a number of lines and kept them within the local supply-demand frame, and they also got into trouble with the local government for selling undrashing petrol and automobile tires. We had to send in a special operations group, and they came closer to having to engage in out-time local politics than I care to think of. Torthakarv quoted in a line from a currently popular song about the sorrows of a policeman's life. We're jugglers of all, trying to keep our traders and sociological observers and tourists and plain idiots like the late Gavron Sarn out of trouble trying to prevent panics and disturbances and dislocations of the local economy as a result of our operations, trying to keep out of out-of-time politics, and at all times, at all costs and hazards, by all means, guarding the secret of paratime transposition. Sometimes I wish Gahaldron Karf and Hestor Gram had strangled in their cradles. Verkenval shook his head. No, chief, he said. You don't mean that, not really, he said. We've been paratiming for the past ten thousand years. When the Gehaldron Hestror transtemporal field was discovered, our ancestors had pretty well exhausted the resources of this planet. We had a world population of half a billion, and it was all they could do to keep alive. After we began paratime transposition, our population climbed to ten billion, and there it stayed for the last eight thousand years. Just enough enough to joy our planet and the other planets of the system to the fullest. Enough of everything for everybody that nobody needs fight anybody for anything. We've tapped the resources of those other worlds and other timelines. A little here, a little there, not enough to really hurt anybody. We've left our mark in a few places. The Dakota Badlands and the Gobi on the fourth level, for instance. But we've done no great damage to any of them, except the time they blew up half the southern island continent, over about 500 peri-years on the third level, Tortha Karf mentioned. Regrettable accident, to be sure, Verkenval conceded. And look how much we've learned from the experiences of those other timelines. During the crisis, after the first interplanetary war, we might have adopted Polnar San's dictatorship of the chosen scheme, if we hadn't seen what an exactly similar scheme had done to the Jakhaka civilization on the second level. When Polnar Sarn was told about that, he went into Maritime to see for himself, and when he returned, he renounced his proposal in horror.
Bertha Carved nodded. He wouldn't be making any mistake in turning his post over to the Mavrat of Neros on his retirement. Yes, of all I know, he said. But when you've been at this desk as long as I have, you'll have a sour moment in two, now and then, too. End of section 5